Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, U.S. Bets Senior Analyst, Jeff Edelstein. And you spotted a fun sports betting story on Twitter this week, Jeff, whereby some guy's three-leg same-game parlay got screwed by a bad call on what should have been a scoop and score by J.J. Watt of the Cardinals. It cost him about a thousand bucks, and he complained on Twitter and tagged Watt. Now, Normally, if someone bitches to an athlete on social media, the response is either for the athlete to ignore them or to make some sarcastic comment about how I don't care about your fantasy team, get a life. Um, But this went the other way. Watt was receptive and told the guy to send him his mailing address and he'd make it right. Uh, You actually talked to the guy. He seemed to be expecting a signed jersey or something to that effect. What's the lesson here, Jeff? Do we all need to start appealing to our favorite athletes every time we take a bad beat? And is J.J. Watt going to regret setting this precedent? Well, I mean, it can't hurt to tweet <laughs> your favorite athlete as long as you're <laughs> going to be respectful. Right. Uh, but, I mean, no, I think J.J. Watt is a bit of a special case. I mean, he he is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by the celebrities that, like, don't treat their celebrity as such and, like, really, mm. like, truly are, like, man of the people type of things. And Watt really seems to be falling into that category. Uh, and you know, he's done so much charitable work and he is, uh, you know, he's always like out in front and goofing around. So I think, you know, I think this was probably like a once, you know, a one shot deal where Watts, you know, first of all, Watt had to see the tweet. So that, that, you know, just like leaping over that boundary, you have to get lucky enough that the guy actually sees it. He sees the tweet. 
he, he reaches out. He says, "I'll make it right." Yeah, I, I think in the end he's probably getting some kind of you know you know paraphernalia or whatever. Right. Um, from what I don't think I I I think you know it's this is one of those like one in a million things. It just so happened that the call was so clearly wrong. Mm. It just so happened that it was small potatoes. You know, it was a twenty-seven dollar bet. It just so happened that Watt is the guy that he is. You know, I'm just glad that Watt isn't sending the guy a check for $27 because that, that would probably, you know, send Twitter all, you know, uh, the hands would start ringing, right. you know, you can't have the athletes giving money away. But no, this is, I, it's fun and it's fine. Let J.J. Watt be J.J. Watt. Yeah, J.J. Watt seems like a, a legit cool guy and, and good person and presumably the better knew that. He's a Cardinals fan. So presumably he, he tagged J.J. Watt uh, or replied to him knowing it was, a less crazy idea than just tagging a random NFL player on Twitter. He, he knew his audience. Um, but I have to say, I have too much pride or, or or maybe I'm just made to feel uncomfortable too easily. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm not willing to like punch above my weight and go tagging famous people on Twitter and trying to a- interact with them. It, it kind of makes me cringe when I see people doing it. Honestly, even the idea of cameo makes me cringe, you know, right. paying someone to send you a greeting. I, I understand the utility of that as a gift, but I just find them so awkward to watch. Um, but I guess if you have to reach out to an athlete on Twitter about a bad beat, better to do it this way than the parlay Pat's death threat approach. Um, yes. So, you know, this this is a step in the right direction for Twitter interaction, a, a civil, positive experience. I'm glad to see that that's possible. I just wouldn't be able to suck up my pride enough to be seen begging J.J. Watt to, quote, help a brother out on Twitter. Sure. Yeah, I got no problem with that. I, I, I tweeted celebrities all the time. <laughs> Steve, Steve Martin once got back to me. It was nice. We had a nice little conversation. Oh, okay. And uh, and speaking of cameo, if anyone wants me to wish you know their loved ones a happy <laughs> birthday, I, I will do it. I will also give you $5 for the honor. <laughs> nice. Boy, you, you're uh, you're a good person. You don't have the best business sense, but uh, but yeah, you're 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 a, you're a good person, and the, and so I guess that's worth something. Well, I'm just trying to get my name out there. Right. You know, okay. Right. <laughs> well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 217 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 216 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please give us a five star rating. Help a couple of brothers out. Uh, you know, now that I think of it. Maybe I'll tweet at J.J. Watt and ask him to rate and review our podcast. I think that'll what, go well. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I, I, I feel shame. Right. <laughs> or a one-star review from J.J. Watt. Right, that's true. All right, so listen, coming up a little bit later, we are joined by our colleague, Bennett Conlon, who's going to be talking about the uh, impending launch of sports betting in Maryland, finally. But listen, as always, there's always a bunch of news to get to, so why don't we do that first? Let's get to the news, Eric. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Arguably the biggest news story of the week in the industry is the Maryland launch coming into focus, but we're saving that to discuss with Bennett. So instead, we'll lead the news segment with a story at the intersection of sports, gambling, crime, and celebrity, although It's maybe a bit less sensational than all that makes it sound. Former Major League Baseball star Yasiel Puig is expected to plead guilty next week to making false statements to law enforcement officials regarding sports bets he placed with an illegal operator. The charge carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. According to court documents, Puig started to place bets in May 2019 
using an illegal gambling business operated by former minor league pitcher Wayne Nix and racked up $282,900 in debt. In January of this year, Puig was approached by investigators and denied knowing his alleged contact in Nix's gambling business, hence the charges. It is not known whether Puig bet on baseball at all, nor whether this will prevent him from playing in MLB in the future, although he's been out of the league since 2019 anyway and played in the Korean League in 2022. Jeff, is Puig a big enough deal for this story to blow up, or is he a little too close to D-list right now, in your view? Uh, And also... Would you like to recklessly and irresponsibly hazard any guesses about the unnamed sports broadcaster who, according to court records, is involved in this and plan to refinance his mortgage to pay his gambling debts? Yeah, uh, as, uh, as far as the announcer goes, and for the sake of uh, our company's slander department, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to refrain from making any okay. guesses. All right. Uh, who, I mean, who knows who it could be? I mean, right. I, I, I can't, you know, I've seen some big names bandied about, but I don't believe that for a second. I right. don't know. I, I, yeah, I think you got to be smarter than that. As for Puig and the story, I mean, you, I think you're you're charitably giving him D-list celebrity at this point. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he, you know, if it comes out that he bet on baseball games, then it'll, the story will start gaining some more traction, I think. Right. If he just was betting on sports and nothing really, you know, untoward outside of betting, quote, unquote, illegally, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's going to be a big yawn. You know, I, I think it is so, so far it's a little bit of a big yawn outside of the industry. You know, I don't, I don't really see it, you know, catching much steam, you know, in, in the, you know, major news organizations and whatnot. You know, he hasn't been in the league in a few years. You know, right. if this happened six, seven years ago, pre-PASPA, while, you know, Puig was a star with the Dodgers, much bigger story. But I, I feel like, the, you know, the, the timing of it, it's really going to, it's probably going to die on the vine. Although, you know, you, you bring up the Korean League. I miss the Korean League. You know, I was playing Daily Fantasy <laughs> Korean sports back during COVID. And DraftKings didn't offer it this year. I was a little disappointed, but, you know, such is life. <laughs> wow. Major sacrifice. Uh, yeah, seriously. Although, although I, I sp- it's good for your sleep schedule, right? Not to have Korean baseball to uh, concern yourself with as you're getting up at 3 in the morning to build lineups or whatever no, it was? No, not 3 in the morning. I was setting my lineups before I would go to sleep at night, and I'd set my alarm for 5.25 a.m., to, to make sure my lineups were right. Because the Korean League, they don't release the lineups until like minutes before game time. Okay. And game time was 5.30. I'm telling you, it's a story for another day. It kept me sane during COVID, during lockdown. It's no <laughs> no joke. Like having like, I needed DFS in my life. It was that in League of Legends. It was, uh, <laughs> I'm a troubled young man. <laughs> well, m- most of that statement is true. There's one word I would object to. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I, that was very disciplined of you not to throw any names about uh, with regard to the broadcaster. I think we've seen the same names bandied about in our work slack, and so I won't mention them either. But I, I agree with you that it's going to turn out to be someone not that exciting. It's going to be some local sportscaster we've barely heard of, like right. oh, it's the, the Padres radio play-by-play guy or something like that. It's not going to be as uh, sensational as we might hope. But totally with you on, on Puig and the story sort of failing to catch fire beyond our little corner of the sports industry. He's he, he's just far enough removed from being a major leaguer of consequence that it's not really a huge deal. I mean, we have short memories. Like the Brett Favre controversy that barely moved the needle. Uh, and, and I think a big part of that was, you know, Brett Favre. He, he played a long time ago. I don't care about him anymore. If if it had been an active player, uh, if it was 
Tom Brady accused of uh, doing the wrong things with a bunch of COVID funds. It, it's a much bigger story. Um, but yeah, Puig, he, he's just not relevant. He probably was never making his way back to the majors anyway. This isn't a huge story. And by the way, what he allegedly did isn't that scandalous. He wasn't running an illegal sports book. He just bet with one, uh, not necessarily right. on baseball. And he ran up a big debt, but then managed to pay off a large chunk of that debt. And his crime was lying to authorities. Um, and I don't know if you, you read the, the defense statement, but his player agent said that he was rushed, unprepared, without criminal counsel, didn't have his own interpreter. We all know the BS lengths that some authorities will go to to like twist a confession out of someone, you know, the, the pressure that's applied. It's possible this guy from Cuba, who English isn't his first language, there could be some gray area in terms of the intent of his alleged lying to authorities. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm no legal expert, but it doesn't feel to me like his crime warrants up to five years in prison. Certainly not. No. And, and I mean, ultimately, to me, this whole thing, this is basically kind of an RG story and a, and a, and a don't bet on credit story. And, and they go together, of course, you know, bookies who let you bet on credit, they feed into problem gambling. It's, it's a lot harder to lose money. You can't afford to lose if you're betting within the regulated system. But, you know, as a cautionary tale, I guess it could be a good thing for the industry. If Puig's story gains some traction, like if, if 60 minutes profiles him or something, I think that actually could be good for the, the regulated gambling industry. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I I could see that that point. I just again, I just I I fail to see how this outside of him betting on baseball games and like being and somebody like coming through box scores and saying, uh, you know, zero for four, four strikeouts in a game that he bet on, like, right. you know, I, I I just don't see the story like getting there. You know, yeah. we need we, let's hope for a bigger name and an active player one day. <laughs> right, <laughs> fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> Um, all right. Our second story has a little bit in common with our first in that it's about an athlete who got punished for betting on sports. Virginia Tech linebacker Alan Tisdale missed the first six games of the current season. He was ineligible to play and nobody knew why until last week. The Athletic reported that he'd been suspended for wagering on NBA games over the summer. Tisdale bet a total of about $400 entirely in increments of $5 or less. He reportedly finished up $41. Good job by him. Uh, I guess he, he may be kind of sharp. Uh, anyway, the bets were made legally on FanDuel in Virginia, but after the fact, he learned that betting on sports at all is a violation of NCAA rules for student athletes. So he self-reported to the Virginia Tech Athletic Department. Virginia Tech passed the information along to the NCAA, and the NCAA suspended him for nine games, which was reduced to six after appeal. There are two topics here that spark up debate. First, is this NCAA rule reasonable that student athletes cannot gamble on sports in any form? And second, is this punishment sending the wrong message and discouraging players from self-reporting in the future? What, what do you think of both of those questions, Jeff? I think the NCAA makes like Singapore justice look like, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a Roman orgy. Uh, I, 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 the NCAA is just like so... Continue, has been, will be, continues to be hopelessly rigid and behind the times. I yeah. mean, this is so stupid. You're costing this kid, young adult, his, his, you know, his time in college. Like, because he made some bets on the NBA, you can't bet on The NCAA is teamed up with this sports book and that sports book. They, you know, mm -hmm. they, they, and, they're, and they're punishing this kid for betting five bucks on an NBA game. 
Just stop it. And yeah, if I was a student athlete who bet on a game, yeah, the last thing I'm doing is self-reporting. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that like these, um, you know, our, our podcast is clearly not first take uh, that, you know, everyone wants to, uh, to embrace debate and have uh, if you're taking that side, I'm supposed to scream and yell on the, on the other side to make for good podcasting or something. But I, I can't do it. I, I agree with you completely on this. It's just so obvious that this NCAA rule is not reasonable, you know. If they want to ban student athletes from betting on all college sports, I'd be fine with that. But why the hell shouldn't some Virginia Tech football player, as long as he's 21 or older, not be allowed to place a wager on, say, the Lakers-Clippers game? Why shouldn't he and his buddies be allowed to have a fantasy football league as long as they're using NFL players, not college players? Why shouldn't he be allowed to throw a lineup into the Millie Maker? It makes no sense it's not even a slippery slope situation. You know, if, if you make it that you're not allowed to bet on college sports, but otherwise you have the freedom to engage in the same legal activities as everyone else, I, I just don't see where the problem uh, enters the equation there. And then, yeah, the punishment completely defeats its purpose. You want to discourage gambling? All you're doing is discouraging the next kid who does this from telling anyone. If the NCAA had the slightest clue what it was doing, it would say... If you had broken the rules and didn't self-report and we found out about it, you would have received a full season suspension. But because you did the right thing, we're suspending you for one game or maybe two games or something. If the NCAA feels one game doesn't do enough to discourage gambling. But all they're doing here is discouraging self-reporting. Clearly, Tisdale made an innocent mistake. This punishment is silly. Um when, when he's done playing college football, now I'm kind of hoping like FanDuel will step up and make this guy a paid ambassador or something, or at the very least, give him like $1,000 in free bets for his trouble. I'll tell you, the NCAA, they're really going to shoot the, end up shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to, you know, sports betting and like trying to like not acknowledge that it exists, you know, right. outside of punishing students. In that, for instance, like I play, uh, I'll dabble in uh, DFS, college football, right? Okay. And sometimes college basketball. Getting like real news is next to impossible, right? Uh, I so many uh, both quarterbacks are warming up. We don't know who's going to play, kind of thing, right? You know, the, but I also like I teach at a college, and I I know athletes, and like I, I'll I'll know like I'll know like oh such and such player on the basketball team isn't playing tonight, right? And that news is not out there. But I could use that news to my advantage. You follow? You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yep. Like, you know, the, the NCAA needs to really step up and like walk in to what is now the 21st century and acknowledge that gambling is happening. It's happening above board, and they have to do everything in their power now to keep it as above board as possible. Because I guarantee you, right now, there are people making money on in, on, on information that should be publicly available, but the NCAA is not forcing anyone to to give out. Yeah, I, uh, I I unfortunately don't see the NCAA changing and getting with the times uh, anytime too soon. But yeah, it's pretty clear to everyone but them that they're everything with regard to sports gambling. They're handling it wrong at this point. Yep. yep. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
All right. For our third story this week, we go to the state of Texas, which is widely predicted to be the last of the big four states to legalize sports betting. But we do have a hint of movement there all of a sudden. On Monday, State Senator Carol Alvarado, a Democrat from Houston, pre-filed Senate Joint Resolution 17, which would create the Texas Gaming Commission and set the wheels in motion to bring casinos and legal sports betting to the Lone Star State. The way it works in Texas is her resolution would need to be approved by two-thirds of both chambers in the state, and then it could get on the November 2023 ballot where voters would need to approve it by a simple majority. A few notes on Texas. It's a highly religious state where some powerful groups don't approve of gambling. The newly reelected governor, Greg Abbott, has recently expressed some open-mindedness to bringing gambling to the state, but his lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, is strongly opposed to gambling. Texas's legislature only meets every other year, which means if nothing happens in 2023, the next chance would be 2025. I haven't come across anyone expressing optimism about Texas legalizing casinos or sports betting next year, but... I guess you have to start somewhere. Uh, does this pre-filing of a resolution move the needle at all for you, Jeff? It doesn't seem to. And I come back to Patrick. Uh, you know, I'm not a Texas political junkie, but uh, the lieutenant governor has a lot of power in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, nothing can move in the Senate without him giving you know the nod. Uh, he has the power to send bills to any committees that he wants. You know, so committees stacked with friends of his, you know, that are you know like-minded. Uh, you know, he could prevent a bill from even being discussed on the floor. So, I, I mean, uh, unless somebody's in Patrick's ear and, you know, unless, you know, the, the, the deals are being made behind closed doors, I, I, I fail to see how this can happen, really. You know, I, I, I again, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of how Texas, how these, you know, how, how the Senate and the House in Texas have to pass their own bills here and right. to get that two thirds majority. But I have to imagine that it doesn't happen without discussion. Right. And Patrick can like simply put the kibosh on the discussion. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not hopeful. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems has been the case prior to this, that nothing really started moving at all because Patrick was going to stand in the way of anything getting moving. Um, I mean, I would love to see this get on the ballot just because I'm dying to know how Texans actually feel about gambling. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the collective there is much less conservative about such things than how they're portrayed. But, you know, two thirds in both chambers is such a high bar. I can't imagine this is actually going to make it to the ballot. Um, And I wonder if tying casinos and sports betting together here is a mistake. There there does seem to be a pretty passionate group with a longstanding view that casinos don't belong in Texas. You know, it's, it's underground card rooms, stuff like that. Old West style. We don't need any of these fancy casinos. I wonder if Texas would have a better chance if they tried to follow the Tennessee model of we don't have any casinos, but we'll legalize mobile sports betting anyway. Um, but yeah, it ultimately Dan Patrick is, is seems to be standing in the way. As long as he's a Lieutenant governor, it's going to be tough. Now, once Keith Olbermann takes over as Lieutenant governor, though, see what I did? Yeah. Get it. Come on. You know, Dan Patrick. The, the, the worst part about that joke was that I was seconds away from making the same <laughs> one. So sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's, I'm not I'm not proud of it. I just couldn't resist. Yeah, no, no, neither. And nor was I and nor would I have. So (laughs) I do miss Dan and Keith. I I feel the younger the younger generation. Yeah, they'll never understand that that there was a time when Sports Center was appointment viewing and you actually had favorite anchors Um, like my senior year college house. So this was uh, 1996, 97. The Internet existed. 
but you didn't use it to get sports scores yet. Right. So we would turn on Sports Center almost every night to catch up on everything. But you know how long we watched depended on whether it was hosts we liked or, or hosts who annoyed us. And now it's just they're all kind of the same. It doesn't really you flip it on and. If if oh, you no. if you flip it on, <laughs> yeah, Sports Center was appointment viewing because if you, there was no internet to see highlights, you know, yep. and you know, and and Oberman and Patrick, it was, I mean, it, it was the best show on TV. Like it was just funny, you know. They they were so good at what they did, and they they uh, yeah, the kid kids today will never know. <laughs> I'm gonna draw the line at best show on TV. Uh, this it, was, it was this was overlapping it, with Seinfeld. I'm not willing right. to put Sports Center ahead of Seinfeld. I'm not, I, I obviously I'm hyperbolizing here, <laughs> okay. but, but, it, but it really was. A, but it was a legitimately like you wanted to tune in to see what they were going to say and do because right. like they they weren't just giving scores and highlights. They were they were entertaining you. You know. Yeah. Yep. Um. I one last thing on on this topic of Texas. I'll make a bold prediction that. Someone in the Texas legislature who is opposed to sports betting will loudly proclaim that the bill would mean betting on sacred Texas high school football games, wholly unaware that high school sports aren't part of regulated betting anywhere. I, I give like minus a thousand odds that someone is going to drag high school football into this. That sounds like a good bet, actually. Maybe should, the bit. odds should be higher. Yeah, I was going to say maybe that should be a bagel and lock later. <laughs> OK, there you go. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Well, it took two years, but Maryland is finally ready to launch mobile sports betting. There were meetings Wednesday morning and Thursday morning to firm up details. There's a bizarre stutter-stepping approach to the rollout on the table, Nobody quite knows exactly what this is going to look like, but if anyone can make an educated guess, it's our man in the DMV who has been following this every step of the way, Bennett Conlon. Fresh out of the Thursday morning Maryland lottery meeting, he joins us now with the latest. Bennett, welcome back to Gamble On. Thanks so much for having me. So break down as best you can what the launch timeline appears to be and how it seems this one day on one day off approach to sites being live is going to work. Yeah. So it's an interesting situation and system that Maryland has. So the plan is to officially launch Wednesday, which will be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, so there's, there's the controlled demonstration process though. It has to happen before that. So a mobile operator is going to go online for a certain period of time. They'll then go offline and then go back online. So it's sort of that on and off approach. And it works usually for retail sports books. It kind of makes a lot of sense. Like you have your soft launch and the lottery comes in, they do their audit, make sure everything went well on the casino floor or whatever. And then you open up again the next day, a little different for mobile, right? Because you're going to have a lot of people within the state who I think my understanding is that the, the soft launch will occur Monday. So that'll start on Monday. People in Maryland will have access to mobile sports books. Looks like it'll be seven operators. And then on Tuesday, my understanding is that they'll then go offline. So I would assume a lot of Maryland customers won't be familiar with this process. And Tuesday, they're going to be a little bit frustrated as to why it's off, which is why the lottery is sort of dubbing Wednesday the official launch day. So Monday will feel probably more like a bonus rather than sort of an, an angry thing when it goes offline Tuesday. But it's kind of a strange process. There's no official time Wednesday for the launch, but but Wednesday is the day that they've targeted to have uh, seven operators online. 
Yeah, it's one of those things that, it, as you explain it, it kind of makes sense on paper to test it out for a day, pull back and check that everything's working, and then go fully live. But I, I guess the counter argument would be all these sports bo- mobile sports books have launched in 30 other states. They know what they're doing at this point. So I, I don't know. Does there seem to be any pushback or it's just kind of like, this is Maryland. This is how we do it. It is what it is. Yeah. So I spoke to somebody with points bet and that was kind of their, their take was just, it's, it's weird. It's, it's kind of strange. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it, it is what it is. It's sort of a one day inconvenience. And I think with the sports betters, right, they waited for two years, as you had mentioned for this to happen. So what's one more day of sort of a clunky process that they've been used to here for, for two years. But yeah, it's a little bit strange, right? I don't think DraftKings is, or FanDuel or BetMGM Caesars, they're not going to trip over their, their feet here on <laughs> Maryland launch when they've, they've launched in so many other states. I think they can handle going live in Maryland. And I don't think the Monday into Tuesday, there's going to be anything the Maryland lottery is going to find that, that shocks them. Right. You know, this I, as an interviewer asking a yes or no question is about the worst thing I can do, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to risk it here. Uh, is there any thought, you know, being that it's being this is run like by the lottery and it's Thanksgiving and everyone, the state, I'm sure, is off on Friday leading to the weekend. Is there any concern that you have or that anyone's expressed about the idea that, like, if something goes a little wonky on Wednesday, that it's just going to, like, sit there, like, until somebody comes back to the office on Monday morning? I think that's the part that's that's very confusing, right, is you have the controlled demonstration to see if things go wrong. And if things go wrong, you're they're going wrong right over a holiday when nobody's working. So I don't, I don't know how that strategy makes a lot of sense for setting it up right before Thanksgiving. I know there is some talk about people are going to want to bet the Thanksgiving NFL games. I mean, I think people want to bet pretty much any NFL game. So when you waited two years, I don't know what missing, you know, the Thanksgiving NFL games would, would matter if they delayed it or if they had done it a little bit sooner. But yeah, the timing is, is certainly a little bit confusing. I know uh, I haven't dug into this too much, but it looks like BetMGM um, inadvertently took some bets yesterday uh, yeah. that they were not supposed to in Maryland. So <laughs> we'll see what the story is there, but I believe they voided those. So like, that's sort of the kind of, I guess, minor issue you could have that would certainly be clunky if that was happening. Um, the day or two before Thanksgiving, with with people getting ready for their holiday weekend. Look at it, bet. Look at bet. MGM voiding bets, limiting people before even launch starts. I <laughs> <laughs> gotta, you know, establish how it's going to be early. Right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so ten operators have been approved. Um, you mentioned it looks like seven of them yeah. could, could launch in the first wave. Is there any chatter that if you're a sports book that isn't part of that first wave, if you're uh, waiting for the December meeting to get approved or you're, you're one of those three that isn't ready to launch just yet, that you're screwed, that you're not going to have a, a shot at significant market share in Maryland? Yeah, it definitely seems tough if you're not in the first wave. I think it'll be a challenge. I know Fanatics is one that's not in the first wave. They're looking at 2023. So that'll be interesting to see sort of how Fanatics does and if they can gain some some market share in Maryland and really nationwide. But yeah, it's tough, especially with, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Caesars. They're in that that mix for those those seven that'll be uh, live on Wednesday. So when you have some of those well-known name brands going live, I assume a lot of customers are kind of going to flock to those. So it'll be it'll be a challenge if you're, you're not one of those seven to get some market share. And the other thing, too, is there is this thought that they could have on the controlled demonstration day, which I'm, I'm thinking will be Monday, is is that they could have like limited how many customers were allowed to participate in that uh points bet says they're not going to 
there's no actual benefit to the the operator for doing that. I think it would limit confusion maybe on Tuesday when they go offline for some of those operators if they had done that. But it's the same thing where you don't really want to limit signups if the other books are not going to do that because you want to get as many customers as you can. So yeah, I mean, there's even a little bit com of competition there uh, on Monday. So I think if you're you know a few months later, it's going to be tough and you're certainly going to have some need to use some promotions, I would guess, to get people to, you know, if they've already used a couple different books and they feel comfortable with those, you probably have to offer something a little bit special if you're Fanatics or one of those other operators trying to get customers. Right. On a related note, um, given that anywhere in Maryland, you weren't more than an hour, hour and a half drive from some state with legal betting, whether Virginia, Delaware, Pennsylvania, um, I presume a higher percentage of Marylanders already have an account and, and a favorite sports book or two. I'm not even sure I have a question I'm asking here, maybe just kind of looking for confirmation that, that this is a state where maybe the customers aren't quite as up for grabs at launch as, as they are in other states. Is, is, is that a thought? I think that's fair. Yeah. And you had some customers too that were um, I had some people replying to me on Twitter when I tweeted the news that it'll launch on Wednesday. They were like, oh, sweet. We don't have to drive to the casinos or to Virginia anymore, uh, which a lot of people were doing, sort of just driving over the border and placing their bets legally that way. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a significant number of people that have already uh, used sports books, whether it's Virginia or maybe a retail book in D.C. where you can still use the app on your phone or something like that, or, or even Pennsylvania. So there have been a lot of options uh, outside of Maryland. So I think people probably have their favorite platforms and Maybe they'll download another one if they want to take advantage of a couple hundred dollars of free bets. But I think right. for the most part, people are probably just excited to use the sports book that they've been using for a while now. Right. You know, speaking of using sports books and getting off Maryland for a second, Ben, I know that you uh, know about 99.8% more about college football than I do. But I, I am smart enough to see that it's a little wide open. It feels like heading into, uh, you know, the end of the season here. But tell me, give me, tell me what to do. I think my my doomsday fear as somebody who likes some of the, the smaller conferences and those teams is that it could still be a, a two Big Ten, two SEC team college football playoff. I think I was looking at FanDuel this morning. I think Georgia is like minus 20,000 or something absurd to to make the college football playoff. They're at a point where uh, they can you know probably get blown out in the SEC title game. And I don't think the, the playoff committee is really going to care because of what they've done the last few years and this year. So they seem like they're in. Ohio State was, I think they were like minus 700. So they have a really good chance. And some of that is they host Michigan in that final regular season game. So they've got a little bit of an edge there. Michigan still has a chance. I think even if they lose to Ohio State, I want to say they've, they've won all of their games or, or all except one by double digits. Ohio State's pretty similar. They're averaging like they've scored 50 points and or close to 50 points in a lot of conference games where it feels like they're going up against way lesser competition, even though the Big Ten has some, some quality teams. So those three are right there. Tennessee's offense is unbelievable. They've been really fun to watch this year. Uh, they took a loss to Georgia, which could end up helping them where they don't have to play in the SEC title game. So you got to get through their last three games. It was like Missouri, South Carolina, which looks like it'll be a bowl team, and then Vanderbilt, which is, is still amazing that they're in the SEC given how their uh, program sort of compete in, in some of those sports outside baseball. So it, it seems like Tennessee's got a pretty good path to only have one loss. They could get in with Georgia and you could have two SEC teams there. And then you could also have Ohio State and Michigan both getting in, which would certainly be interesting. I think TCU and USC are maybe the two wild cards there where if TCU wins out in the Big 12, they'll have a good strength of schedule, strength of record. They should 
get in if they're undefeated, but it's going to be tough for them to finish undefeated. And then USC, sort of a similar boat. Maybe they sneak in over Tennessee if they're a one-loss Pac-12 champion, uh, but they have some tough ones left too. So it seems like it could be the uh, SEC Big Ten Invitational, which sort of matches up with how college football is going with those mm-hmm. two conferences taking the, the lead. And they, I mean, Ed, we're, we're going to reach a point where there's two conferences, period. <laughs> right. right. Much, much like the sports book consolidation, college football consolidation heading in the same direction, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, he is uh, Bennett Conlon. It's uh, always great having you on the show, Bennett. I'll note that your uh, Twitter handle is simply your name at Bennett Conlon. Anyone in Maryland uh, who cares about keeping up with the news on sports betting uh, should be following Bennett on Twitter. And if you're not in Maryland, you should still be following Bennett on Twitter. Uh, Bennett, thanks so much for uh, joining us on Gamble On again. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to bagels and locks and some DFS talk shortly. uh, But first, let's update our betting bankroll. And... It's a rite of passage with the Gamble on bankroll. You're experiencing it early, Jeff. Week, week two of this for you. You were part of a bloodbath week. Uh, this was ugly, and we both shoulder blame, and even former host John Brennan shoulders blame. Uh, last week, you did a pair of two-team NFL teasers. Supposedly, this was you playing it safe, uh, so <laughs> that'll learn you. Um, you teased the Giants with the Raiders. Giants covered. Raiders didn't. That lost $120. And you teased the Seahawks with the Cowboys. Seahawks covered. Cowboys didn't. Another $120 loss. I had the Eagles minus six and a half points in the first half on Monday Night Football against Washington. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about that bet or anything else having to do with that game. Uh, We lost $110 there. And I had something of a disaster with my Tyrese Maxey points betting over bet. The line was 24 and a half. I bet $20 per point. He was at two points at halftime. I was really panicked. His shot refused to fall. He had a fairly normal second half, though, to finish with 15 points. It was bad, but not quite totally devastating. He finished nine and a half points under, and we lost $190. Um, And lastly, MLB awards are being announced this week. We're still waiting on MVP tonight, which should prove profitable for us if Goldschmidt wins in the NL. Uh, But for now, we do have one losing bet from John to factor in. He made a preseason bet on Max Scherzer to win NL Cy Young. So that lost us $50. So all told, we lost $590 for the week, which is quite possibly the single worst week in Gamble on Bankroll (laughs) history, Um, in part because John and I were famously nitty. So it was rare to have more than 500 bucks in action in a single week. Um, like I probably in the Brennan era, I probably would have done $10 per point on that maxi bet, but you inspired me to loosen up and, and lose more. Um, but uh, anyway, we are now down by $3,195. We have $910 on holding futures bets, leaving us with $5,895 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first and I'm going to make a pair of week 11 NFL bets uh, in my line it up column. Uh, my gold medal money line underdog picks of the week are seven and two on the season, which is ridiculous and unsustainable and by no means a sign of anything. Uh, but I really do like this week's pick. I think the price is a little too high on the Steelers. They're at home against the division rival Bengals. They're a different team with TJ Watt back and TJ benefits from his brother JJ's good karma. I believe I think that's how it works. Um, Division games are always close. 
The Bengals' offensive line is middle of the pack. I think Pittsburgh can get pressure on Burrow. They still don't have Jamar Chase. So I'd say anything at like plus 150 or above is good value on the Steelers here at home. They're as high as plus 175 at DraftKings. So let's do $60 to win 105 on the money line. And then my other bet, um, I liked it better yesterday than today, but I still like it enough to throw away some bankroll money on it. Uh, The under in the Bills-Browns game, this opened around 47 or 47 and a half, and then reports came in of a huge snowstorm in Buffalo. So the number dropped significantly. It was 42 and a half or so yesterday when I started thinking about our bankroll bets. Now it's 41 and a half at most books, but I did still find a 42 at points bet with just minus 107 juice. Um, and it's not just the weather. You know, Josh Allen may be compromised. The Browns rely on the ground game, even in good weather. This game just figures to have a slow pace and not a lot of scoring. So even at 42 points, I think the under's the right side. Let's bet $107 to win 100. Well, so... One of us will be right. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are we doing conflicting bankroll bets, or is yours going to be like lock of the week? Because I feel like well, uh, my, if... my lock of the week maybe is conflicting. And, okay, and that's bankroll, fine. The bankroll bet is conflicting as well, but it's part of a giant parlay, so uh, I'm, eh. we're going to let it go. We're letting it go. <laughs> All right, if it was a direct, straight up conflict, and we're just paying the books the vig, I would, I would no, object. No. But okay, go ahead. Well, so I am all over the over at 41 and a half. This game is either not going to be played in the snow because the storm will be over, or if they think the snow is still going to be a factor, they're moving the game. Um, possibly even to Detroit, I read as recently as this morning, oh, which would wow. be uh, it would just open up the offensive you know, firework potential. But listen, if, if Vegas thought it was 47 at the beginning of the week and now they say it was been bet down to 41 and a half, I'm going to – I'm trusting Vegas, at, you know, at the beginning, you know, where they thought the game, because I think, the, I, I don't think snow's a factor, is my point here. I don't okay. think it's going to be a factor. So, uh, yeah, it's a five-team parlay here. Uh, what could go wrong? Uh, $50 at plus 2383. Uh, for This is so we're going to take home $1,241 to really, like you know, that. get this bankroll back to, back to, back to health. It's, yeah, bet- that, between that, I also got the Giants, Lions, I want the over 45 there. Uh, even though the Giants like will like try to slow this game down, I think they're they're going to have a hard time doing it because the Lions' defense is so pitiful that I I got the Giants pegged in for like two quick scores. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you know you know without a long drive. So I like the over there, and then three visiting favorites. What could go wrong there? <laughs> Give me the Cowboys giving them one and a half in Minnesota. The Chiefs giving five and a half. Uh, against the Chargers and the Commanders, given three in Houston. My rationale on these bets is that I think the Commanders are I, – I, it's hard to argue now. They might be actually very good, um, and three points is against Houston. I, come on. Uh, the Cowboys – if the Cowboys held on to win that game, which they should have, and if the Bills held on to beat the Vikings, which they should have, this would have been a three-and-a-half, four-point spread, I think. So I feel like I'm getting a bargain with the Cowboys. And the Chiefs given five and a half points to the Chargers. I mean, I, I don't know. The Chargers just seem like a little bit broken right now. And the Chiefs are playing great football. So that, there it is. That, that, that's it. Twenty-three eighty-three, fifty bucks to win twelve hundred and change. I, I really want to help make a dent in this pretend bankroll of ours. All right. Well, that would make a dent. I I think the leg that I probably disagree with most, other than the the over under on the Cleveland. Buffalo game, which admittedly I had no idea there was talk of them moving the game. So I'm just uh, operating on insufficient information, perhaps. But uh, 
wash i i kind of like the houston side of the washington game i think i think it's a uh you know commanders just had just had their they just won their super bowl on monday night and now they now they have a letdown kind of spot uh against houston but we'll see i'll root i'll root for all five legs uh the bankroll could use it um so uh for my next bet the world cup starts on sunday and I know next to nothing about soccer, but fortunately, we know some people who have some soccer knowledge. And to be honest, the best thing for our bankroll right now might be to cede some control of it to other people. Uh, so uh, I asked Chris Altruda, our resident soccer expert, to recommend a bet. And he gave me a few, and one of them stands out as a fun sweat for us. FanDuel has a special prop on two players from England's team, Harry Kane and Phil Foden, to score five-plus goals combined over the course of the World Cup at minus 108 odds. Uh, Chris explained, quote, Given what looks to be growing tumult over Iran's squad because of whatever is going on internally in the country, there'll be a distracted bunch, and Kane should get two in that match. He's also... England's designated PK taker and finishes them with Venom. With Venom, Jeff! Uh, (laughs) Foden is capable of scoring and might not need to net more than two or even one if England goes deep and gets six matches to make this hit. Um, So that's what Chris said. I like this one in that it's not just one game and done. We can root for England to keep winning and sweat the box scores of each of their games. So let's go $108 to win 100 on Kane and Foden. And now I can name two people participating in the World Cup. That's two more than I can name, but it's not stopping me from also putting a World Cup bet into our. Okay. Uh, I'm going with Argentina uh-huh. for 100 bucks at plus 500 to to win the championship, to win the cup, to win it all. Do you have any I, any any reasoning behind that, or are you just two, like you, okay, two. all right, okay. Re- reason number one. Well, three <laughs> reasons actually. Oh, okay. Reason reason number one, they're the second favorite, so that's you know the odds makers like them. Okay. Reason number two, I was listening a couple weeks ago to uh, a, a podcast, Davis Maddox, Take Cast. He likes Argentina. He seems to know a lot about soccer, so that's three. Okay. That's two. And then uh-huh. three is I like the you know the uh, non-English pronunciation of Argentina. I like saying that. <laughs> right. So I will be saying that a lot should they go deep into the uh, World Cup. Okay. Those are pretty unimpeachable reasons, I think, for taking Argentina. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, we may kind of stink at the moment at our bankroll bets, uh, but one thing we don't stink at is bagels and locks, or, or at least you don't stink at it, Jeff. The jury's still kind of out on me. Uh, you took Saquon Barkley over 93 rushing yards. He crushed it. Uh, another five schmear pick out of you. You're 2-0. and um, I'm down to 1-1 one and one after my Seattle plus three came up a bit short. We'll call that a, a, a two schmear pick for me. Not not the worst, but somewhere below schmear expectations. Um yeah. And by the way, before we get to this week's locks, I should note that in our office picks pool, you and I are currently tied for second place at a 15 entrance with 16 points apiece. So there's your proof that we are both very, very, very sharp. Although, I believe you went 6-0 and last week on auto pick because you forgot to get your picks in. Is yeah, that correct? I, <laughs> I did. I completely forgot. I had no idea that I went 6-0 and on auto pick. I forgot all about the thing until you just told me about it. It's very it's very low on my totem pole. Now I have to go back in. I guess I have to start paying attention. Or maybe well, I should just let it auto Right. Pick. I was going to say, don't mess with what's working. Right. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, our colleague Mark Saxon was also on auto pick, and it assigned him – the opposite side of the same six games and he went 0 and 6. <laughs> but look, it's better to be lucky than good, right? Um, I think so, so yeah. All right. All right. So anyway, you're up first on bagels and locks. What's this week's lock? Yeah, I'm going with the over in the Bills Browns game. I, I at 41 and a half, just I'm I'm going to slam it. 
I, I expect the game to be played in clean weather one way or another. And if you had told me beginning of the week it, that there was going to be clean weather and it was going to be a 40, I had a chance to bet that at 41 and a half, I'm going to take it. So All right. it's, I mean, it, this is a math play for me. Okay. All right. One of us is going to look silly next week. I mean, probably we're both going to look silly next week, but it's, with regard to this specific game, right. one of us is going to look showdown. silly. It's a showdown. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm bouncing between two options for my lock of the week, and it's a real psychological dilemma that I've got here. Uh, the lead item of my Monday column was about the disrespect the New York Giants are receiving from the bookmakers. They were an insultingly small favorite last week at home against Houston. It opened around seven and it closed at just four and a half, which is crazy to me. And this week they opened minus three and a half at home against the Lions. Now it's down to minus three at FanDuel. The seven and two Giants at home against the three and six Lions, and it's a field goal. They're saying these teams are just about a coin flip on a neutral field. I don't get it. Um, I feel like a square here because it's so obvious to me. But Giants minus three, I feel like I'm getting two or three points of free value there. But then there's this other game that has my eye, and this was part of your parlay. I figured that the Vikings at home against the Cowboys, before I saw the lines, I figured Minnesota would be like a two and a half point favorite, you know? Both good teams, pretty even. Vikes are eight and one. They should be a small favorite at home. So I was stunned to see the opening line of Dallas minus two. Now it's Dallas minus one and a half. And I'm thinking this makes no sense, but I guess Dallas is the sharp side. The bookmakers aren't going to screw up. They're right. I'm wrong. So I have either this very square Giants minus three pick or this perhaps very sharp Dallas minus one and a half. I don't know which is the better lock. Do I trust myself or do I trust not trusting myself I'm, I'm really torn but uh in the end i guess these are supposed to be my locks so uh i'll trust my own gut this week giants minus three lock it in i really like that one that's right. that's that's you know I'm, I'm double i would double down on that with you okay all right we're all in on the giants minus three uh all right we close the show with some dfs chit chat um i will get my weekly brag out of the way at the top uh, i did it again moved to nine and oh this season with my cash lineup in double ups I did not beat Levitan. He topped me by about six points, but I did well enough, thanks entirely to a Sunday morning pivot to Tony Pollard, which opened up some salary for me to get off of Samori Tor and onto Christian Kirk. And so uh, combine that with the fact that I played Justin Fields, as about 64% of the field did, that got it done. I'm 9-0 and and have $45 to show for it. I'm not <laughs> pathetic. Uh, anyway, uh, give me your Week 11 DFS thoughts, Jeff. Uh, it is ugly out there, and pricing at uh, DraftKings is tight again, uh, but it's really ugly at uh, receiver. You know, Cup is Dunzo, uh, Tyreek and Waddle, Mike Evans and Godwin, Metcalf and Lockett, Christian Kirk, they're all on buys. You know, D- uh, Debo, Ayuk, Hopkins, uh, Rondell Moore, they're playing Monday night. Whoever's playing wide receivers for the Chiefs and Chargers <laughs> Sunday night. Uh, you know, I, I think we're looking at like a foursome of receivers that are going to be very chalky three at the bottom and Paris Campbell, Nico Collins and Kendall Hinton. Mm. And then, uh, Justin Jefferson at the top is really the only top receiver. I think that the, the, the way to be different this week is like looking at the middle tier, which is really, really painfully ugly. Mm. But I, I think that's where you have to look at wide out. Uh, running back isn't much better. Uh, I think Barkley is the only like smash play that you know is clear you know based on the matchups and everything so i i don't know i i'm i'm really feeling this is one of those weeks where finally the chalk isn't going to hit uh because the chalk really is going to settle on these cheap wide receivers and i just don't see that 
ever working, but I'm sure I'll make a few lines. Honestly, I think I think the real sharp play, and I, I haven't done this yet, um, but I think I'm going to – I almost never play like the Thursday, Monday, right. uh, you know. But I think I'm, I am, and I think I'm going to do it with some bill stacks, figuring that, that that's going to be – no one's doing that. But I don't know. I'm not sure. D- D- DFS worries me this week. I, I, I have a very, very bad feeling about DFS this week. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bill stack is an interesting – play certainly for, for tournaments that you know you've got josh allen with the with the questionable tag and people wary of the weather and if you're pretty confident that the weather's a non-factor that could be a great contrarian opportunity to to stack up that game um although with everyone listening to our podcast now it's not going to be contrarian anymore uh, <laughs> but um yeah of, of the names that you mentioned there the the cheap receivers uh, nico collins was the one that had my eye as a, a pretty obvious cash game play to save some money um for quarterback in cash i cho- my choice seems to be between fields at 7600 dak at 6600 and daniel jones at 5700 um and I kind of think this is a week where I'm going to have to play around with each quarterback price and see how the rest of my lineup fills in and how much I need either 1K of savings or 1,900 of savings from Fields. But I'd love to get to Fields if I can, even at 7,600 with his rushing and the floor that comes with it. He's probably still the best points per dollar play. Like your expectation is something like. 16 rushing points with him, you know, about a hundred yards, three point bonus, half a rushing touchdown. It's crazy. His realistic range is like 25 to 40 fantasy points. And so I would prefer ideally to pay up a little for that rather than get like 15 to 25 out of Danny dimes or like 18 to 30 out of Dak. So I th- I'm leaning towards fields as long as I can put together a, what a, a comfortable lineup around him. Yeah, I think Fields, I, I, you almost have to play him. I mean, even if, let's say he disappoints, throws for, you know, 150 and a score and rushes for 60 and no scores, right? right? He, that's, I mean, that's still what? The 6, 10, six, 12. 16, you know, it's still 16 yeah. points, Yeah. you know, which is like, you know, not going to kill you. Right. It, it's just not going to kill you, you know? Especially, so, and, especially if in cash, in the double ups, he's like, 60% owned like he was last week. It's especially right. not going to kill you. Right. In cash, yeah. I, I, I can't see Fields being the reason that you don't win in cash. Right. right. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see. I'm going I'm going for 10 in a row, Jeff. And, it's, uh, I'll tell you, it's very impressive. That's, it <laughs> right. really is. Everything you know? everything about it except the amount of money that I've won from it is impressive. Yeah, you could have re- you could have been done. You could have retired if you had, you know, had it. You know, if you, if you had bet a little bit more, if, if by I had, a little if, bit, I mean everything that you have. Right. If I had, if I had stones, essentially, I could be retired. But I well, I mean, listen, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I, I I could read your brain waves. Right. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest Bennett Conlon. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. Yeah, DraftKings has ruined my Saturday nights and occasionally now my Saturday afternoons because they have uh, – I, I don't follow MMA at all, but I'll, I always throw a few lineups in because why not? 
And now they have got decided, you know, it used to be, you know, once lock hit, that was it. You couldn't make any changes. Mm-hmm. Now they have late swap for, for UFC fights, <laughs> for MMA. And I'm not doing that. You know, like Saturday nights, maybe I want to take out, you know, go out to dinner with my wife or something. I would have a lineup. It's locked at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever. I could check it here and there. Maybe I have a sweat. Now I have to pay attention to every fight on the card. I have to like, you know, no, not happening. <laughs> it's the worst thing that they've done. You know, I, I'm all for late swap. I like late swap and all the other sports, but in MMA, we don't need it. Nobody, I, I don't know. I didn't ask for it. So I guess I'm going to play FanDuel MMA now. I don't know. But yeah, I'm a little aggravated with, with DraftKings' decision there. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll still play it this week. But, you know, regardless. <laughs> yeah, under, under protest. Under protest. That's it. One last little thing. I'm a little worried about this week in football for me. This week always seems to be traditionally a lousy week for me. It's like the Thanksgiving, three hangovers coming, you know, (laughs) like family. It's getting cold. I feel like I know everything when I know I don't know everything. It's it's, Be careful out there in the NFL. That's what I'm trying to say. And with that, yeah, we're on.